How's it going? Awesome. My name's Fudd. I uh, actually do attend this church. I feel like I hadn't been here in forever. Um, I just want to also say thank you to everyone. Over the last couple weeks, I've gotten lots of encouraging emails and texts and things like that as I was was in school. So I want to say thank you so much for your encouragement. If you sent me encouragement, and if you didn't send me encouragement, it's not too late. I love encouragement all the time. So it'd be a late birthday present. Um, Anyway, so today we're going to be in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. If you were here last week, Jack started this kind of little two-week series, and he, he addressed why. What he said was, we're about four years old now. As a matter of fact, this next Sunday will be our fourth year anniversary as a church. And um, in that whole kind of time that we've been to church, we haven't necessarily addressed parents and children as, as the way to do gospel-centered parenting, parenting if you will, um, since we started. And that's really just because we haven't needed to. You know, we have we had just a few children here and there, and all the parents that, that we had were just amazing parents. I mean, they had it all together. Their kids never made any mistakes. And so, y'all, come on. Y'all like flipping for Ephesians 6, and y'all even listen to me. So, but anyway, we've got like 25 kids being born in the next six months. And so we thought that it would be perfect timing to try to talk about what are some of the key principles of of parenting and what are some of the key things that we need to know. Um, And so Jack started last week Deuteronomy 6 and did more of a big picture kind of thing. And so I'm going to try to drill down into some nuts and bolts in Ephesians 6, um, 1 through 4 this, this week. So... That's my assignment. That's what we're going to be doing. So uh, before we get started, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. So I'm going to tell you those verses. And the reason why I have these memorized is because these are the first three verses, the first three verses that I ever taught to my children to memorize. And so as I taught them, um, because this is, I mean, if there's going to be verses you need to teach your children, it's got, you got to start with Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. They need to know those things. That's foundational. Anything I say, children, you need to obey it. And then, of course, Ephesians 6, 4 is something that parents just should all know as well. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So we see in those particular verses that they are um, directly first verses one through three uh, directives or instructions, if you will, given straight towards the children. And then in verse four, straight to the parents. And so that's pretty straightforward. Easy outline today. You could probably make it yourself. Um, so I'm going to do that today. We're going to have uh, the first thing will be two directives towards children, one, two. Two directives towards parents, one, two. Um, and I'll unpack those as we go through. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And hopefully I can kind of pick up from where Jack was, kind of laid the foundation from Deuteronomy 6. If you weren't here last week, go grab that and download that. It's, it's a very good sermon for you. Um, And then I'm going to jump in today at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. So let's pray, and then we'll we'll jump in. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to be able to stand here and preach your word. Um, What an honor it is to be uh, one of the elders here, and just the privilege of being able to um, shepherd a people that you've you've given to this church. Uh, I know that this is a serious task we know that in Hebrews, Lord, um, it says that elders will be held accountable, um, will, will give an account for the, for the um, people that you've given them to watch over. And so, Lord, I, I don't take that lightly. It's, it's a very serious task. And so I pray that as we look at your word, God, that I would be um, absolutely accurate, that there wouldn't be anything that um, out of fear I would soften or reduce or re- retrieve away from maybe some of the hard truths, but also, Lord, I know that any task of preaching uh, is a supernatural, spirit-filled experience, and so there's nothing that I can say here um, without your spirit coming now that will do anything, and so I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with the spirit as I speak, and that everyone here, including myself, would have ears to hear what the spirit wants to say to this church, and that we would be moved and shaped by it, and that you would use it for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Jack said last week, and I just want to reiterate, if you weren't here last week, I want to make sure you know, um, we're talking about, specifically these two weeks, parenting. And so if you 
I already have your kids out of the house, and that's like, well, I don't need to worry about that. Or if you are nowhere near parenting, the danger is that you would not want to listen at all. And that's just not the case. We know all scriptures God breathed. Um, so everything that we're going to read is totally applicable to your life. So whether you're an empty nester or a no nester, uh, we want you to know that this is still completely applicable to you. Because more than likely, every single one of you still have parents in some case that you need to apply these principles to in your life. As well as one day, uh, 80-something percent of people will have children. And so you need to have these things, um, uh, things that you're already thinking about so that whenever you do have children, you'll, you'll be a part of it. Or thirdly, if you never have children, um, you are still a part of this family, this Remedy Church family, and God has given you um, an ability to be a part of discipling and loving children in this particular family. Uh, and so you need to have these things uh, kind of reviewed with you as well so we can all be thinking about how we can pour into the little ones that are in this church. So we, are, uh, we had a meeting this past Friday uh, for, for parents, but we are taking uh, some newer steps here at Remedy by hiring Carrie on as our, our children's director, and we have even more plans to try to expand um, some of the things that we're going to be doing straight towards uh, children that are in verses one through, versus grades one through six. So um, we've got new things going on, and I just want to uh, say that there's, there's lots of opportunities for you to get plugged in in the life of the family here. So if you want to, you want to be a part of that, we want you to be a part of that. Make sure you let us know. So, a couple disclaimers before we get started. I feel like it's just absolutely necessary that I have disclaimers because if anybody stands up here and starts talking about children, you can mistakenly think that I think that I'm an authority on this. And let me just tell you, I mean, I am not an authority whatsoever. I know the, the word has authority, but as far as me, um, not so much. So, a couple things I want to throw out there as disclaimers. Um, number one, who am I to talk about this? I, I have four children. Um, Two, four, six, eight. Actually, the four is five. We're on that little little period where they're all about to go to three, five, seven, nine, and we have one coming on the way, and we're going to find out tomorrow if it's a boy or a girl. So we've got five almost children, and so um, I need to say all that to say I uh, they constantly, constantly, constantly need discipline, and that's because they're little sinners, and so I <laughs> I don't have any clue really. Um, what I'm doing. I'm just kind of standing on the word of God and saying, these are the things I know God's called me to do as a parent. And so I'm just, I, I'm, I'm trying to do these things that the Lord's called me to do. I make constant mistakes all the time. So who am I to, to say this? I, I, I don't have at all figured out at all, not even close to at all figured out. And so that's my first disclaimer. We're just going to together, collectively, you and me, even though I'm the one talking, look at this and let the Lord kind of instruct us and give us wisdom on the way that we can live um, and, and parent our, our, our children in gospel-centered ways. So that's the first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is um, usually when you give some kind of instruction sermon, like instructions to children, instructions to parents, um, what we can do is kind of take those as principles and say, okay, principles to live by, and these are helpful, advent, uh, helpful advice kind of, kind of things. And so my second disclaimer is everything that we're going to say today, everything we're going to go over today is all predicated on the gospel. All right, so without Jesus, without his death, burial, and resurrection for us, uh, without the gospel, we, we are absolutely lost. We're just, we're just trying to do best practices here. And that, that's not what church needs to do is, is um, drill down into best practices. We, we start with the gospel. Everything we do as parents is centered in on the gospel. The gospel is absolutely essential in any and all parenting. We constantly, as parents, need to be reminded of the grace and mercy that we've received from God because Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for us, and then we extend that grace and mercy to our, parent, to our children. So everything that we're going to be doing today is centered in on the gospel. So I just wanted to throw that out in the beginning, just in case we, as we're starting through some, some looks like instructions, I mean, the title of it is Two Directives for Children, Two Directives for, for Parents, and that's why I wanted to call it Gospel-Centered Parenting, because I want us all to realize that everything we're going to say when it comes to instructions for, for parenting is all finding its roots in the gospel. So that's, that's what we're doing today. Let's go ahead and look at verse 1, and I'm going to take these one by one. There's really four points, two to children, two to parents. Um, and here's the last thing, and then I promise I'll actually start. Um, so as I'm talking to children, 
here's, here's a good idea. As I'm talking to children, so there's only like f- maybe four in the room, right? And so it's going to feel like these first two, you can just say, oh, these aren't for me. I'm the parent, so they just better listen. Nudge, nudge. Um, I want you to think as a parent, as I'm talking to children, I'm really talking to you parents. So as I'm saying, children, you should do these things. I'm, I'm also saying, parents, create an environment, atmosphere, centered around the gospel where they can do these things. Does that make sense? And then as I'm talking to parents, children, uh, little guys and little girls in here, as I'm talking to parents, you want to be thinking, these are the things that God requires of them. I want to know that. I want to make sure I understand these things that, that God requires. And as I'm hearing these things, whenever they're disciplining me, whenever they're instructing me, whenever they're trying to do things, that's why they're doing that, because God wants them. And every single one of us here still have parents, more than likely. You know, I'm, I'm 38, but I still have parents in the the things that God tells me still apply to me in verses 1 through 3 and the way I interact with both of my parents. So um, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So the first directive right out of the text given to children is this, that you should obey your parents in the Lord. You should obey your parents in the Lord. So if you are a child, whenever your parents tell you something, really straightforward, you should do it. In the Lord. Now I'm going to unpack what all that means. Um, and just as an idea, I, I want to make sure we all understand. Our obedience to our parents is God's design. God wants children to obey their parents so that we can understand that as we obey our parents, there's, a, there's something greater. There's a, there's a bigger picture there. God gave us parents to obey to give us a greater understanding that he's also our heavenly father. And as we obey our parents, that, that sets a little picture for us that we should also obey our heavenly father. So that's the reason why we should obey our parents is because it helps us understand that we're also in a bigger picture supposed to obey our heavenly father. So obedience then is um, evidence of child honoring their parents and, and wanting to do what their parents says. Um, most children are not the kind of people, most children are not the kind of people that want to naturally obey their, their parents. Let me give you, I'm going to be reading some Proverbs here, um, and there's so many of them, I'm just, I've just got my little Proverbs list here. So I'm going to just refer to it, and you can just write it down and check it later. Um, but Proverbs 22:15. this is just speaking of the condition of children's really inability or natural, um, natural ability to want to obey, to obey, but really their natural ability to want to disobey. It says, folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Which means basically this, um, children, when they're born, are just not very smart. They, they, they're, not, they're foolish, and they make foolish decisions constantly. They don't logically think things out. And so when I was writing this sermon, I actually wrote this. Um, I was typing it. I was saying children are, are corrupt, and they, they have a corrupt human nature, just like us as parents. And, you know, we're still someone's child, so we're still... Quite, quite sinful. And it says, this is the case with most children. And as I was reading through it, editing it later on this week, I took the word most and I did the little strike through and write all. Like there's not one child here that, that's ever been, in, including me, um, that aren't ridiculously poor decision makers and sinners. It, it, just, if you've been around little kids for a while, you just know that they don't think, and, and I'm not saying like, Let's all degrade children and call them terrible, right? Look how bad they are. I'm just saying they're, they're just so young and really naive about the way things work in life that they just don't fully understand. And so our, our job as parents is to know that foolishness or folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And we don't, we don't rail at them and, and, and say, what's wrong with you? You're so foolish. And what's Instead, we realize this is the case. And lovingly and gently, we want to lead them to grow them up and help them understand that they need to obey because they are going to make poor decisions over and over and over because they're just so young and they don't understand. Okay? They don't understand. So um, we want to, as much as we can, knowing that our children are just not going to make great decisions when they're little, we want to teach them to obey because it helps them understand there's a greater picture that when they get older, they've learned and modeled in their life to obey their parents. And so whenever they come to an age of understanding who Jesus is, they, they know just like my father and mother expected obedience, my heavenly father expects obedience. All based on the gospel. All based on, on worship. All based on the fact that, look what God has done for me. I want to respond in obedience. Not, 
God expects obedience, so I have to do what he, what he expects. But instead, because he gave his life for me, because I've been regenerated, because I know Jesus, I want to obey, and God expects obedience. And that was modeled to me from my parents growing up. So the first directive for children is, children, you should obey your parents. But parents, you should create an environment where they can obey their parents and understand this is because um, they need to know that God expects that from when they get older. Now, the next phrase it says, um, well, let, me, let me say one other thing about uh, obeying their parents. Colossians 3.20, which is a parallel passage to this particular text, it actually says, in all things. Children should obey your parents, and it, Colossians 3.20 inserts the phrase, in all things. And this is saying that parents should not refuse, kids should not refuse anything that their parents ask them to do as long as it's not sin. Whenever a parent ask their child to do something, they should not refuse it as long as it's not sin. Um, It doesn't mean that kids can't ask for clarification. It doesn't mean that kids can't try to question in some some respects in a respectful way whenever their parents give them something. But But it does mean, kids, that you shouldn't argue... You shouldn't dispute um, in a harsh way back with your parents. If your parents ask you to do something, you should do it. Um, and, and, of course, you can, you can ask for, for clarification and ask why. Um, but you should do it in a, in a very respectful way. Now, the key phrase, I think, there is, children obey your parents in the Lord. This phrase is quite important. Um, children should obey their parents as long as it's not sinful. So the, the illustration I always use is um, whenever you go on... Uh, to one of the restaurants, and one of the restaurants says, kids eat free, you know, as long as they're a certain age. And they're like, oh, kids eat free as long as they're nine. Hey, say you're eight, but they're like 15, you know, and like, you can't say, I'm really 15, I'm really nine, give me the free lunch. Like if your parents say, just say you're nine so we can get the free meal, that's sinful. And so kids, you should not obey your parents there. So in instances where it's going to be sinful to do that, if they're like, you know, hey, Johnny, go rob the bank. We need some money. That's a, that's a case where you shouldn't do that. So children, you should obey your parents in the Lord, which means if your parents are asking you to do things that are sinful, then you should not do those things. And I think we all can know whether things are sinful or not. Lying, stealing, etc. You know, kids, if it's if it's I want you to do something and it's going to break one of the Ten Commandments, then you should not do that. Otherwise, you should obey your parents. Um, and sometimes there will be cases where parents might do that. But the phrase in the Lord there is to remind us that there is, of course, you know, limits to which parents can ask their children to do things. So let me pastorally kind of pause here and just say some things to you. Um, some of you may have had it tough in life. Some of you may have had parents that were very difficult to obey. Um, not because what they ask you to do is sinful. They ask you to do something that wasn't a sin. But in the way in which they demanded it constantly to you. They just demanded obedience. Demanded it. And they said, do this right now. You need to do... Like, they constantly were kind of all over your back um, throughout your entire life. And that certainly can leave some, some scars in your life. And parents, if that's... If, if that's kind of describing you right now and you still have young ones, it's, it's never too late to switch away from that, to change away that, from that by the power of the gospel. You don't have to be the, the dictator, the totalitarian of the house, the authoritarian of the house, the one that demands obedience right now. You, you can start learning how to parent with grace and, and still have obedience. But back over, if some of you college kids um, or maybe late 20s, 30s had parents like that and they certainly might have let, let some, left some scars on you. Um, I want to lovingly say a couple things to you. You still are under some kind of biblical precedent or biblical directive that you still need to honor them. We're going to see here in just a second you need to honor them. If they raised you in such a way to where it was just horrible, um, you still must, and you can see it right here in verse 2, honor your father and mother. Um, God gave you... Let me, This is the pastoral advice I want to give you. God gave you your parents for a reason. He didn't mess up when he gave you your parents. He didn't accidentally give you the wrong parents and gave your best friend or your person you know like these these golden parents. And you're just like, why is it that I have these parents? How come all those people get the cool parents that are nice to them and take them out and get them wheeze? And I didn't have anything. I had the old school Nintendo that never worked. And you had to... 
blow on the thing and it never worked. How come I had that thing? Um, they were just so mean to me and my bike, you know, fell apart and they wouldn't fix it. They just kind of laughed. They just said, go fix it yourself. How come I had that? Um, God didn't accidentally give you those parents. And I think that knowing that our sovereign God, Romans eight twenty eight, he works all things out together for good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. We need to know that those kinds of verses are still true, even though we had tough lives or you had a tough life. And pastorally, I just want to say that you're still required by God, Ephesians 6, 2, to honor them. You're still, if you're out of the house, um, if you're a believer especially, you need to still keep in contact with them. You, ne- you still need to love them as, as, as difficult as it might be um, in a way that honors them. And you still need to check on them. You still need to take care of them in their old age, etc., etc. God didn't accidentally give you those. And you, you may not understand why, and we might, you might, we all might not understand why until we're in heaven. But God does not do anything without a purpose. And more than likely, more than likely, it was so that you would be more sanctified. And some people, the Lord just decides to, to give that particular house to them so that they can grow in their sanctification. And so, as much as it seems like it's not a gift, in some ways, it is a gift. It does, it does sanctify you in ways that you would have never been sanctified had you not had that. And so, just pastorally, I wanted you to know that just because you were in that particular house, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, and that doesn't mean that God wasn't looking out for you. As a matter of fact, it was no accident at all. It was always been his intention. He's sovereign in all things, even who your parents are. And that, now, perhaps you had great parents, and that doesn't apply to you, and it's always been easy for you to obey your parents. And that's a good gift as well, and you should be thankful for that. But you shouldn't let that be a reason that kind of makes you lazy in sanctification either. Just because, well, how come I didn't have hard parents? Well, you should th- thank God, but also strive forward in sanctification. And then it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Just to reiterate to you that it's always right to obey your parents because yours and my corrupt human nature, the fact that we're born in the line of Adam, is going to, want, is going to make us not want to do that. And he says, for this is right. Just to reiterate to us again that we should do it. Now, the second one is honor your father and mother. So the second directive given to us is honor your father and mother. The first one, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The second one is honor your father and mother. And I want to draw a little bit of a distinction between the two because they're, they're not the exact same. Um, they have some similarities, no question, but there's a little bit of difference. Um, and you'll see also where it says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And what is that promise? Well, we know, we see in verse 3, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So there is a promise of God tied up together that if we honor our parents, we actually get to live longer. What does that mean? Is it like a threat? <laughs> is it like, if you don't, I'm going to take you out kind of thing? Um, I don't believe that it's, it's an actual threat. Um, <clears throat> that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm considering taking you out if you don't honor me. I don't think it's that at all. I'm going to address what I think it means in just a second. But there, the second thing is, is that we need to honor our father and mother. Now, I know that's pretty straightforward and, and, and obvious, but let me, let me kind of throw some, some gospel implications into this and let's, let's see what this actually means. I think that as we honor our father and mother, especially before other people, we, 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 I'm going to talk about this and give some examples in just a second, but as we honor our father and mother, honoring our parents can be a way that as an outside world, people who are not yet Christians, as they kind of see us um, honoring our father and mother, this ultimately shows that we want to honor our heavenly father, which can draw them into becoming people that will, with us, honor our heavenly father and so there's there's some definite um, evangelism implications is this in this as we honor our father and mother we are putting on display that ultimately we want to honor our heavenly father and hopefully that draws not yet christians in to say that's interesting why do you do that and that gives us an opportunity to proclaim the gospel and say because we want to honor our heavenly father and you can know him too you can know the greatest father in the world His name is God. I want you to know him through Christ and you get a chance to actually talk to them about the gospel. Now, I think that's amazing. 
So there's, there's awesome gospel implications in here as we see honoring our father and mother. John Calvin, as he's looking at this particular verse on honoring our father and mother, he says this. The precept, which is to honor our father and mother, comprehends all the duties by which the... And here's the distinct difference, I think, between obey your parents and the Lord. Comprehends all the duties by which the sincere affection and respect of children to their parents can be expressed. So here's, here's what I mean by that. I think he's exactly right. If I tell my child to go clean up their room, they can, which is the normal way, go stomp up there, clean up their room, and they can do it all. Now, they have honored the first one, or they have done the first directive, which is to obey their parents. But they didn't honor me as they did it. They stomped up the stairs and, and cleaned up their room. So what we're talking about here is to obey is to do the act, but to do it with a terrible attitude. To honor is to do the act of obedience, but to do it with a wonderful attitude or an honoring attitude. And so this is, this is one of the ways that we can honor our father and mother, is that whenever they ask us to do something, we do it with a good attitude. Now, this, this applies to me as well, even though I'm 38. Parents, you want your children not just to obey you, but to honor you. So you need to think about how you can ask them, direct them, give them... Um, times where you want to them to obey, but say it in such a way that's going to actually create where they're going to, a, a, a time where they're going to honor you as well. If you are just harsh, do what I say, this is your, your, this is your directive, go obey me right now, then they're probably not going to honor you. And there's going to be a pattern set up for them where they're never going to honor you because you're so harsh with them. You want to give them um, directions where they want to obey, but in such a way that cultivates an atmosphere where over their life they want to also do it with a good attitude and honor you. As Calvin says, sincere affection and respect. So as we ask them to do things, we want them to do it with sincere affections and respect. And that comes from the parent. I think that just comes from the parent. The way that it's asked comes from the parent. So um, the second thing I want to say is for those of you that are older now, maybe you're in uh, college or, or 20s and 30s, this honoring doesn't, you know, go away once you're out of the house. You're still called to honor your father and mother, even though they might be 70 and 80 years old. Um, and, and I think an example of this is whenever you're all together in your community group and, you know, you, you're kind of talking about your parents or whatever, and, or, you know, whatever, you're in college and you're in your dorm room and you're, you're talking about who your parents are, and all of a sudden, you know, the parent bash comes on. You know, and that, that doesn't necessarily happen all the time, but somebody starts complaining about their, their goofy mom or their goofy dad and how they still dress crazy or how they always embarrass you and you can't stand them, blah, blah, blah. Um, honoring means you don't join in on the parent bash conversation. Instead, even though they're not here, they'll never know that you said this because you're probably not going to tell them that you actually stood up for them and think that they're awesome because um, that's just awkward. So you just, you don't join the, the bash. You just, you speak well of your parents. This is, goes along with the sincere affection and, um, and respect. You speak well of your parents even when they're not around. You constantly try to honor them as much as you possibly can. So when you do that, this means you're going to have long life. Now, I don't think we should take this verse lightly. Let's ask this question. Is this a formula or is this a principle? Is this like every obedient act I get seven minutes added to my life? Kind of like the opposite of cigarettes? Is that what it is? Is this the opposite of cigarettes? Um, I don't think that that's the case at all. Um, I don't think that this is the the anti-antithesis of cigarette smoking formula and every obedient act or honor act, God said, boom, seven minutes, good job. Instead, I think this is a principle. In other words, your parents, and we all know this, this might be crazy um, for some of you kids to understand, and uh, this, is what I, this is how I've understood life thus far at 38. Um, at, at 18, I, I literally was, in my mind, I had it all figured out, like the smartest person in the world. Even at 8, you know, 8 through 18, we all, as looking back, we can understand, we literally have all, of this, all the things in life figured out. They should just elect me president because I would take care of the deficit. You know, we know everything, right? And so as we get older, we realize we don't know everything. And as I'm 28, then we realize, wow, at 18, I was a moron. And then at 38, you're like, wow, at 28, I was a moron. And 48, I'm sure the same thing is going to happen. And so my, my point is that as we get older, we are able to look at life in such a way to be able to give really good advice to people. And so as we have little kids who are making crazy mistakes, we, we say, you shouldn't do that. 
Well, that's going to keep them from a life of pain. That's going to keep them from situations where it's pain. It's going to keep them from addiction. It's going to keep them from whatever. And as those things are removed, that actually extends life. Whenever you're not addicted to drugs, whenever you don't drive 95,000 miles an hour on the interstate because your parents told you not to, whenever you don't get in fights with people and you get your head bashed, whatever, as you listen to your parents and don't do the things that keep you from pain or addiction or whatever, this actually extends your life. So this is a principle about what we're saying, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land, which is my parents are actually far more smarter than I think. They understand life better than me. And if I do the things they say, if I study, I'll make better grades, I'll go to a better college, I'll get a better degree, I'll make more money, I'll take care of my parents. If I don't, I'll end up, you know, doing different things that aren't those things. And so it just extends our life in principle longer if we listen to our parents because they're more intelligent than we are. They, they're more wise, I should say, than we are. Maybe not intelligence. They're more wise than we are in, when it comes to life. And so we will live longer in the land because they are going to help us make better decisions. So it's not a formula. It's not the uh, antithesis of cigarette smoking. Um, so that's, that's the first two things when it comes to directives to children. Number one <clears throat> is that we should honor our father and mother in the Lord Obey our father and mother in the Lord. And the second one is that we should honor them. So here's the second thing. And this is the directives to children. And it comes from verse 4. There's two of them. Is it me or is it like really 90 degrees in here? My goodness. Can we change that somehow? Um, All right. The second thing is two directives to parents. I am literally sweating up here. Um, So, all right. So two directives to parents. Um, Verse 4, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, Matt Chandler says something like this in one of his sermons on, on parenting. He said something like this, A dad should not negatively motivate their children. Dad should not negatively motivate their children. So we start with here in verse 4 where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So we don't want to negatively motivate them. We want to encourage them, positively give them, breathe, life, breathe life into them. But let's look at this in verse 4. It says, fathers. It's interesting here that it starts with fathers. Um, this is no accident. Uh, there, there's two things. Paul's not negating mothers. He's not saying, mothers, you're not important. And he's also not saying, Mothers, you don't have the ability to provoke anger in your children. <laughs> you, you probably do. Um, but he starts with fathers because um, the father is the appointed spiritual head of the house and must be leading in the home. And so Paul starts with them. Fathers, and then there's the exhortation. Um, so let me, let me say a couple things before we get into these two directives. Uh, parents, I want you to realize God didn't give you kids to make your life more stressful. Or he didn't give you your children who seem to be so disobedient to make your life more stressful. Um, He didn't give you those particular children just because he thought it'd be funny to watch you squirm as you try to discipline them. Instead, I want you to consider this. God gave you your particular children with their particular personalities because that's going to best sanctify you as a follower of Christ. He gave you their personalities because as you struggle through, you're going to be more dependent on him and you're going to be more sanctified and more Christ-like because as they show you and kids have this unique ability to show you just how selfish you are. No, I don't want to do that. That's, that's too much work. Go back to bed. It's 4 a.m. What the, how come you're hungry? Why is the fridge open at 4.30? Why are you playing the iPad at 3.30 a.m.? There's just so many things. And you can just say, well, they can figure it out themselves. Or you can not be selfish and go help. You can, so kids have this unique ability to show you just how selfish you can possibly be. And the reason why God gave you your particular kids is not because he just thinks it's funny to watch you squirm. Maybe he does. I don't think so. But because he wants you to be more sanctified. All right, so here's the first one, the first directive to children. Um, we're we're going to state it negatively because that's in the text, but I'm going to flip it and state it positively. Um, the first one is, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So the first directive given to parents is, don't provoke your children to anger. Let's, let's flip that and say it and also in a, in, a, in a positive sense, which is, dads, mothers, cultivate 
and encourage all the positive Christ-honoring traits you see in your children. Cultivate and encourage all the positive Christ-honoring traits you see in your, in your children. This is, this is huge. We can't re- I can't reiterate how in- important this is. Dads, listen to this. I want to talk to just you for a second. With just one sentence, with just one sentence, you can either encourage and lift up your children higher than you think or absolutely destroy them. With just one sentence. So, because of that, you want to, as much as you possibly can, install in them the worth and value that they have. As an image bearer of God and the fact that they are part of your, your family, you want to, as much as you can, cultivate and encourage that. Conversely, you don't to, want to, with the sentence, destroy them. Um, whenever they do something wrong, make them feel terrible. Ask them why they're so clumsy. How come you can't ever do anything right? You don't want to destroy them with their sentences. Those things live long scars later on in life. And so you want to not provoke anger in them or even despair. Instead, you want to cultivate and encourage your children and all the Christ-honoring things that you see in their life. You want to do everything you can to build those things and speak life into them and bless them with your words. Colossians 3.21, in this particular, in this particular thing, verse right here where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The parallel text adds, lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. So we want to encourage everything that we can in them that we've seen in them. Let me give you an example. I've got four children, as I said. Only one's a boy. So we've got girl, girl, boy, and then another girl. And we've got another one coming. I think it's a girl. We'll find out. Um, so I've got one son, and he's just turned five. He is sensitive, very sensitive. He is, um, he's the cuddler. Of, of most of my children, he's actually the cuddler. You know, the oldest is just like, whatever. But he is, even though he's a boy, he's a cuddler. He, like, he loves to hug and kiss. I mean, it's just, he wants to, every time I walk out of the door on Sunday morning, give me a or, or any day actually, give me a hug and wants to kiss me on the lips. A little weird, still trying to figure that out for myself. But he does want to, and I'll do it. And it's just like, it's still awkward for me. I didn't have that growing up. Um, he randomly will walk over to Christy, who's pregnant, every, every once in a while. And whenever she's not looking, just walk up and kiss her belly. We call, it, we call the baby in her belly Cinco, because it's the fifth one. He kisses Cinco and then walks back over and starts doing his work. And so he's just, he's a sensitive little boy. Very sensitive little boy. Um, and he also has three, three sisters and a mom. So he is every day surrounded by four ladies, and most, mostly he's with them. So this is just cultivating this sensitivity in his life um, and, you know, playing dolls and, and having relationships with, with their toys rather than just destroying everything. Um, and so he, he has this constantly, but he's also equally a boy. He, likes, he, he seems to break everything. He also wants to wrestle the moment I get home. I walk in the house, and I start talking with Christy, and he's just, he's just hitting me right here. He's just trying to pick a fight. He just wants to wrestle because he hasn't got to wrestle all day. So as soon as I get home, all right, let's go, and then just throw him around, the, you know, whatever. So we've got both of these things going on. And so here's my point, is that he needs to be equally encouraged, not discouraged with both of them. I don't want to stifle the sensitivity that he has. I don't want to um, shoot down the fact that he's a very sensitive boy and he loves to cuddle and he, he loves to hug and kiss. I don't want to tell him that real, man, real men only want to fight and wrestle. I mean, yes, I still want him to shoot his first deer at age six. There's no question about that. But at the same time, um, I want to uh, cultivate the sensitive side that he has. Because, here's the thing, that's a whole man. That's a real man. A man that might be the protector, the strong, whatever, but also very sensitive. I, I stifled it growing up in my life. I, never cry, you know, don't, don't be sensitive, stuff it all down. I, want, I see that in him, and I want to bring that out in him. I want to not provoke anger, as conversely, but also cultivate and courage all the positive things that I see in my, in my child's life. That's just an example. And you can certainly fill in the blanks with tons of examples from, from, your, from your daughters as well. The point is this, is that parents know exactly what to say and how to say it to their children. Quick jabs to children are not helpful. Um, and st- provocation to anger is something that children need to, parents need to avoid trying to make them angry. Certainly they're going to get angry. Okay, they're going to get angry whenever they are doing something wrong and you correct it or they want to do something and they can't and you tell them they can't. They're going to get angry. So we're not saying don't ever make your kid angry. They're going to get angry. 
their children. Remember, we just said that they're, they're not very smart. Um, as a matter of fact, Proverbs uh, 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Most of the time, children don't like reproof, so the Bible's just saying that they're kind of stupid sometimes. Um, they're going to get angry whenever we correct them. But what the Bible is saying is there's no need to just provoke anger. They're going to get naturally angry. There's no need to try to pull out anger from them just for anger's sake. So we want to instead speak life into them, encourage them, speak to them in ways that are going to uh, lift them up. Ephesians 4.29 comes to mind as we talk about speech. This is what Ephesians 4.29 says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This is a perfect way that we want to speak to our children. They're certainly going to get angry at us whenever they can't do things that they shouldn't. So we don't want to pile on anger that's provoking them unnecessarily. Children should revere their parents. They should look up to them. Because of that, um, that can be accomplished more if parents are not unnecessarily trying to make them angry. So... Parents, don't provoke anger in your children. Conversely, speak life into them, if you will. That's maybe another way to say it. All right, the second one is right here in the second half of verse 4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I'm going to, I'm going to compact all that into one directive. But really, I could, I could make it two, but I'm gonna, and I'm going to later. But I'm, as far as the, it comes on the screen, it's just going to be one. The second one is bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and a way to say that is um, we want to lovingly nurture and gently, patiently bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This bring them up as we have it in... in here is, is really one word in the Greek. It's ektrafete, ektrafete, bring them up. And this literally uh, carries the idea of gentleness and patience and forbearance, self-control. So as parents, we want to gently and patiently, with self-control, with much forbearance, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's not that it's kind of like bring them up. This means constant patience with them. Constant forbearance, constant gentleness with them and not harshness. Um, that's the way we want to do that. So Chandler, I love the way Chandler says this. This is, this is, I love the way he uses word pictures. He said, as parents, we want to gather all the kindling we can around their heart for that, where, that would be a love and heart for Christ. We want to gather all the kindling for, around their heart. We can't make the fire happen, but we want to put all the kindling there so that, that the Spirit will come and ignite it. That's what we're talking about, disciplining them and the, and the, um, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We want to gather as much kindling as we can around their hearts. So there's two things that we're going to look at here, and this is uh, discipline and instruction. Discipline, um, let me just say one little quick thing about discipline. And you may, this, this is something you might want to write down. When it comes to disciplining your children, you need to be consistent, you need to be just, you need to be fair, and it needs to be done in love. It has to be those things. Consistent, just, fair, and in love. Consistent's very tough. I mean, it takes a lot of times to tell them over and over and over for them to understand. I, I am still fighting the battle to get them to flush the toilet. I mean, I have told them to please flush the toilet like 50,000 times. But I still have to keep doing it. Or they're just going to keep not flushing the toilet. So that's just one example. Their consistency is absolutely key. But here's the thing as parents, you're going to notice immediately that you are inconsistent. I am so inconsistent. I must be a failure. That's why we as parents must return to the gospel continually and say, though I may not do this well, God, I am in constant need of you in my inconsistency to know that you're giving me grace and mercy. You called me to be consistent and I'm not. I confess that. Please help me be more. I I need the gospel. Thank you for your grace and mercy that you extended to me because I am so inconsistent. And then you go likewise and you extend that grace and mercy to your, to your children. So we must be consistent. Discipline um, must be consistent, fair, just, and given in love. So here's the question, I think, is our question should be, how and why then does God discipline us? And as we know how God disciplines us, then that's the way that we can discipline our children. Um, and as I just read, let me read you some Proverbs that kind of um, go along with this. 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Um, Proverbs 23, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to, the, to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. Um, 
Proverbs 29, 15, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. Um, oh, that was 29, 17. 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So we, we know there's clear directives that we have when it comes to discipline our children. Now, I'm not trying to say anything about the way you discipline. I'm not making any, um, any formal words of advice on whether you're going to spank or not. I'm just saying the Lord knows we're supposed to discipline. And you can figure out with your own conscience the way that discipline looks. All right? So we know that we're supposed to discipline. So as we we know that we're supposed to discipline, what is the way that the Lord disciplines us? And and what's the goal? How and why does he do it? And as we know that, then we certainly can know how we're supposed to discipline our children. So let me me read to you from Hebrews um, an example of, of how and why the Lord disciplines us. And from that, we know that how we can discipline our own children. In verse 5, it says this, in Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No, be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Implication. Parents, if you don't discipline your children... The Bible is saying, possibly you don't even love them. The Lord disciplines those, those whom he loves. Therefore, we discipline our children. And if you are just that lazy and disciplined, it could be that the Bible might be saying, you, you may think you love them in some ways, but you don't love them enough to discipline them the way that God wants you to do it. And it says, um, for it is discipline that you have... It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. That's good news. Why does God discipline me? Not because he's treating me as a servant or a slave, but instead he's bringing me actually to a closer relationship as a son or daughter. Therefore, he's going to discipline me. And this is what it says. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly father who disciplined us and we respected him. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? And here it is. Here's the the why. We need to know, why do I discipline my children? This is why God disciplines me. And this is why I should discipline my children. Look at this. For they disciplined us for a short time, talking about our parents, as it seemed best to them. But he, here it is, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us so that we can become more like him, that we can share in his holiness, so that we can be more sanctified. So that's the goal of our discipline to our children, not mere behavior modification. If you discipline your kid just because you don't want them to embarrass you in the mall, you're missing it. We're not as parents after behavior modification merely. We want to adjust behavior, surely. But I don't discipline my children because I don't want them to embarrass me in the mall when they freak out. When I discipline my children, I'm after their heart. And this is why we have to have the gospel as our motivation. We don't want our children to just become behavior-modified children where they just, in the end, become legalists. Instead, we want to discipline for the heart. So when they do something, we want to drill down deeper. Lazy parenting will say, just stop doing that because I said. Consistent parenting that sees that God's telling me to discipline them because it's a greater thing. I see the outward effect that you're doing. However, I want to drive down deeper into the heart and gospel your heart. Ask you why you're doing it. Helping you see that this is an act of worship unto the Lord. That we don't do that. Not because we don't do that just for its end and of itself. But instead, because of an act of obedience based on the gospel, we want to live lives of love to Jesus. And so we want to go after their heart. One book for this would be great. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Tripp. T-I-R-T-R-I-P-P, dyslexia. T-R-I-P-P, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And it's just a book all about how you don't go after behavior modification as parents, but instead you want to shepherd their heart. So we are disciplined by God to share in His holiness, and we want to, as we can, um, help our children be someone that's not just having their behavior modified, but instead we're drilling down to the heart and bringing in the gospel as, as, as much as we possibly can. Because here's the thing. Um, our right standing with God already, already 
ensures that when he disciplines us, he's not angry with us. He's not mad at us, and he's not going to take away his relationship with us, and he's not going to condemn us. And that's the same way we want to start with our, our kids. Our right relationship that you already have with me, that's never going to change. I am going to love you no matter what. So I don't want you to modify your behavior thinking that I could remove my love or somehow the relationship's ever going to change. You're always going to have all my love. And based on the fact that you're always going to have all my love, that's never going to change. Let's drill down into your heart and ask why you don't want to, um, why you don't want to live out a life that obeys and honors me as your, fam- as your parent. So first thing is discipline. That's what we need to do. The second thing is instruction. And I'm going to go through instruction fast. There's really just one thing, big principle I want to ta- say about instruction. But let me lay a little bit of groundwork first about why instruction is important. Proverbs 1, seven: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a couple other Proverbs that say that. Um, Proverbs 4, hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. These are just verses over and over that are helping us see that we should listen to the instruction of our, of our parents. Um, Proverbs 4.13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Proverbs 10.17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he would not depart from it. I'm sure you're all familiar with that. Um, This is what I want to say about instruction. I don't want you to think about instruction, parents, in an American sense. I want you to think about it in a first century sense. This is what I mean. Um, In America, when we think about instruction, we automatically go to the classroom and we think transfer of information. That's what we think. But in the first century, that's just not the way it was. Certainly there was information exchange. But first century was, hey, come follow me. We're going to live life together in such a way that you're going to observe the things that I'm asking you to do. I'm going to model the things that I want you to do. Yes, I'm going to impart knowledge, but you're also going to see me doing those things and you're going to see me fail. And there's going to be interaction where we're going to understand that this is what instruction is. It's not just, all right, kids, gather around. It's time for another in, in, in class. I'm your professor. You're, you're not their professor. You're their parent. You're not their lecturer. You're their protector. So when we talk about instructing them, we don't just merely mean, we don't just merely mean that you are imparting information all the time. But instead, you're hopping down in the trenches with them and you're living life with them. And you're saying, Um, whenever we do stuff, I want you to watch me. The next time we go places and we're doing things, I'm going to be down there in life with you. Follow me, do life with me, go where I go, watch me, see me fail, see me repent of sin, um, see me have a victory and know that that's what's going on and that's the way you should live. So when we're talking about instruction, we're not just saying impartation of knowledge, but also living a life with them that lets them see what the gospel is doing in your life. I want you to watch this. I've, I've started watching this recently. Um, as I sometimes have to go to restaurants without my wife, I'll, I'll watch dads and the way that they interact with their children or moms, but usually just dads. They go out to Chick-fil-A or they go out to whatever and they're sitting there with their child or their two children. I want you to watch this. Next time you go to a restaurant, um, compare the number of minutes that the dad is having a direct conversation with their child versus the number of minutes that he's looking at his phone. That's all instructor. When it's time to correct, he looks up and he instructs, but he's not down in the trenches with them. Watch it. It's amazing. I would say, from my observance over the last at least year, 75% of the time he's in his phone. And this is just, you know, unscientific, all right? I'm not scientific at all, but this is what I've observed. 75% he's in his phone. 25% he's looking up. He's correcting something that they've done. He's not having a conversation with them at all. Watch it. Now, if the mom's there, it won't happen because he'll get busted. But whenever he's by himself, that's what I've observed. If the child's lucky, they'll get 25%. Sometimes it's much less. Um, And so what we mean by instruction is they should see the word being lived out, but they should also know that you actually care about their life and you're down in there with them living life. This is what we mean by instruction. And this comes, 
um, from you loving them, caring about them, being in the word with them, seeing the importance of them understanding the word and, and knowing the gospel. So just practical ways you can do that. Let me, I got a little list here. Family devotions. I mean, those are crazy times for me sometimes. Because my kids are so young, they don't listen to anything I say. I pull out the guitar. If we sing a song, they immediately all stand and just run around the room in circles like crazy monkeys. And I'm like, is this even working? I don't understand. Um, but if we put on a CD or sing, I'll just play the iPod and they just immediately jump up. But they're learning the songs about Christ. Family devotions, obviously, when you read and pray with them, that's, that's one way. Um, looking for teachable moments throughout the day to illustrate the gospel. I mean, there are so many chances for you if you just watch for them that you can talk about the gospel with them, looking for teachable moments. Um, Singing with them, even though if you may stink, your kids don't care. Just sing with them. Um, Sing in the car, sing at the house. Asking questions about the gospel. Just sometimes I'll put put JC to bed and I'll just say, JC, tell me the gospel. And she'll tell me. I mean, there's there's no... um, no amount of how awesome that is. I'm, I'm, I'm losing words. All right. Disciplining them, of course, is a way. I mean, just consistent discipline. Um, praying together with them. Not just whenever it's time to eat, you know, but the other times throughout the day. Um, catechism, of course, is a way you can do it. But don't miss this. Catechism is that instructor. So not just catechism, not just reading the Bible, but also taking them alongside you when you go serve your neighbor. That's doing life with them, letting them see it modeled out in your life. So there's tons of ways that we can instruct them. And the most important thing, I think, when it comes to instruction is that it's not, you're not a professor. You're their parent. So to conclude, families are a gift. And God's given them to us for a purpose, which is to glorify Him. To glorify Him. So here's my challenge for every single one of you dads this week. Here's my challenge. You, I want, to ha- I want you to actually walk out here and do one thing. If you're not a dad yet, you're a college guy, you're a single guy, you can still do this because this would be something bringing into a marriage that would be, I think, amazing. Any church, any organization, every one of them, um, whenever they first start, we did that, um, they have what's known as a mission statement. I- I'm getting, this is not my original. I got this from my, my ethics professor, my marriage and family professor at seminary. So this is not my idea. I think it's awesome. Whenever a church starts, an organization starts, they have a mission statement. Ours at Remedy is to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him, with one another, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's wordy, I know. So, anyway, we have one. And the whole point is, that's what we do. Like, that's what we want to do. So, all of our decisions, um, should we do this, should we do that? Let's look at the mission statement. If it accomplishes that, yes, we should. Dads, you should have a family mission statement. You should have a family mission statement. Write it with your children and your wife. Let's write this down. Let's get this. We're going to post it on the fridge. All the family decisions that we make are going to go through this grid. Should we do this? Should we not do this? And most of your family decisions, and this is a great thing for your parents, for your kids to know. You know, we exist as a family to um, make disciples of Jesus and serve our, our neighborhood. Whatever. I mean, I'm just making up something. But... They can see we as a family want to make our decisions based on this right here. This is a, a visible, tangible thing that I can as a, as a dad put in front of them that they can constantly see. Um, that's the first thing. And here's the second thing I want to say. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to worship together. Dads, if you feel like an utter failure thus far at this, that's completely normal. And, and you're going to continually feel that way. But never, ever is that a reason to give up. Never, ever is that a reason to stop striving to be the one that leads your family. You're going to fail. You're going to. But I want you to know, listen, the Lord, your God, if you're in Christ, will never, ever stop loving you. He's always for you. And he always wants you to continue to strive to lead your family well. And when you fail, he is going to forgive you every single time because all that was put on Christ already. And so, based on that, you can march on as a dad, knowing that Christ is forgiving everything. He's empowered me by the Spirit, and he deeply desires me for me to continue on, even though I might constantly fail, to keep doing it. And just know that the gospel is huge and amazing even though you might not be able to do this well.
because of Jesus, you can, you can continue to do that. Even if you have 15 years of failure thus far, these last four with your children, if they're still in your house, can be absolutely amazing. If they're already out of the house, he still wants you to do it. You can do this starting today because the gospel proves to us that God is able to do those things through us. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time where we can come together and look at your word and know that there's things you're calling us out to do as sons or as daughters who have parents or as parents who might have children or future might have children or may never have children, but we're a part of this particular family at Remedy Church. There's so many applications that we can make today. And I pray, Lord, that we would look for those right now in our lives. And that based on the gospel, based on a deep love for Christ, we would live these things out. And right now as we sing, as we worship, because you are our good heavenly Father who loves us more deeply than we can ever imagine and more perfectly than we could ever conceive, may we now stand and give you all the glory and song. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.